on me, Shanti. <laughs> Thanks for making me cry. <laughs> I can't use the excuse that there's eyelash glue in my eye. It's just, <laughs> through singing, it was beautiful. Thank you so much. Very, very timely and very heartfelt. Okay, so um, let's see. So I'm supposed to stand up here now so people can see the slides. Can you all see? See? <laughs> Can somebody get me a tissue, please? I don't have a I don't have an illness. It's 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 Shanti's fault. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm gonna just turn up stage and blow my nose for a minute. Just talk amongst yourselves, okay? Take not Han, take that. <laughs> All right, thanks. Thanks for turning up my mic while I was blowing my nose too. That was really considerate. Okay. Well, from the sublime to the ridiculous, today we're talking about a beautiful blend of human and divine. And um, that's one of the things that we, that we focus on a lot in this, in this spiritual center is that, you know, we often call it a mystical center of non-duality. And non-duality is an acknowledgement that we are both of those things at the same time. We're both human and divine. No matter what's going on, we are always human and divine, that the divine incarnated as us. But I'll get to that a little bit later. I want to start with a, a Buddhist parable. That's um, a, a book by a, a friend of mine, Brian Conroy, who has a, a lot of Buddhist parables in there. And that's um, a, it's a story about a Buddhist monk. That, let's call him Kusala, okay? <laughs> Kusala, for those of you who don't know, Kusala is a monk who speaks here frequently. And oh, that's Mothra. Um, but it's really about a, a butterfly. I just, I just have a thing about Mothra, so I wanted to put Mothra in there. But let me switch it to a butterfly. <laughs> it's a story about a Buddhist monk and a butterfly. And so Kusala, let's say Kusala is staying, is, is at, his, at his place where he stays, and he's in the garden, and he falls asleep, and he has this, this beautiful dream, and he's dreaming that he's a butterfly flying all over the yard and, and going into flowers and, and fluttering around and doing what butterflies do. And then he wakes up, and he says, oh, wait, wait, I'm Kusala. But then he has another thought. He says, I was Kusala having a dream that I was a butterfly, but what if I'm really a butterfly having a dream that I'm Kusala? Whoa. Whoa. What do we do with that? I don't know. <laughs> but I think we realize that we're in a deep state of, of, of um, paradox and mystical consciousness all of the time. Um, so today's purpose, with, with that in mind, is that I hope to expand our hearts so that we can encompass and truly know the opposites that, th that are not really opposites, so that we can truly know that we are both human and divine, and we can leave here with a greater sense of knowing our hu the, the fullness of our humanity and the fullness of our divinity, and to live, it, to live into that mystery, you know, to live into the mystery of being human and divine and incorporating that into the actions and thoughts and relationships in our life, and then, most of all, bringing peace and joy to the cosmos, including us, including the entire world, including wherever there might be trouble, including our families, our relationships, and beyond on the other side of the globe, that we may bring peace and joy to the cosmos. So how are we both human and divine? Well, many of the mystical teachings and mystical interpretations of, of teachings, of tr more traditional teachings, imply that we are, and some of them overtly state it. This first phrase, the word became flesh. Many of you may be, be familiar with that. It's from the Gospel of John where it says, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that means that something, something, the word, the logos, the template, actually assumed the form of matter. 
there are spiritual teachings that say that the first incarnation was actually the Big Bang, right? The Big Bang, where everything developed at once, the, the, the void became form, and that uh, the incarnation of Jesus just put a face to it so that we could understand that not only is the infinite divine in all of creation, it's also in people, too. And in this center, we call Jesus the ultimate example, not the ultimate exception, right? You know, and I was, I was thinking also that when, one thing, and I'm not sure what teaching says this, but a, a lot of them do, that spirit, spirit becomes matter. Spirit became matter so that matter could become spirit. That's, a, that's another way of saying it, too. The same thing as the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, for the most part. I was thinking about, you know, how intention becomes form, and I was thinking about, um, about a, you know, a, a baby, and how the entire baby is baby. I mean, the ba a baby starts as an idea, most, mostly, right? It starts as an idea, and then it's formed, and one night at 2 a.m. when I wasn't Googling what are the physics of hula hoops or where do smells go or all the things I do when I <laughs> get insomniac, I started, to, and I didn't actually Google it, I thought about something else, but I wanted to Google which part of the baby forms first. And I think it's the, the, the brain, the brain stem and the spinal cord and the heart. They form together and then they inform everything else because the brain and the heart are very much linked, not only in terms of metaphysics, but also physiologically, they're very much linked. And I was thinking that, okay, so the brain and the heart are like it. They're the epicenter, right? But is, is my big toe not part of my body as well? And it, it seems like an, an analogy, a metaphor for spirit, like the, the void of spirit or the infinite divine or whatever it is we want to call it is the epicenter. But is this person on, on earth named, named Jackie or Lenine or Karen, are they not also like, sorry, like the big toe? They're part, of, they're part of this body of God as well. You can pick whatever part you want, but I just came up with big toe. They're all part of the body of God. So it's, it's a similar, it, you know, as above, so below. It's a similar relationship. And then the other, the other thing, this is from Sufi wisdom, from mystical Islam, where uh, the, it's quoted in, in many places, but it's, I think it's allegedly a direct quote from the Prophet Muhammad, uh, where he said, I was a hidden treasure that longed to be known, so I created the world that I might know myself. It's also sometimes translated as, I was a hidden treasure that loved to be known, so I created the world that I might love myself or know myself. So it's all of those things. It's this idea of this vastness coming into form. And, that, and, and when the vastness comes into form, it does not lose its capacity for vastness. It does not lose its infinitude. It has the appearance of being limited by form, but really that infinitude is still there. And then sometimes we get into this place in mystical teachings like, well, human is inferior, but divine is superior. I should try and be more divine and less human. And I, I would kind of question that. I think we're supposed to be both. For one thing in life, if we are in this form, if we are in a body, there has to be contrast in order for us to navigate. For example, we don't really know what, what joy is unless we can compare it to sorrow, right? We don't really know what love is unless we have the capacity for the opposite of love or for loss, right? We don't really know what darkness is unless we have light. So there has to be this need for contrast. Spiritual teachers like Esther Hicks and others talk a lot about contrast and how it's, it's necessary for us. It's also necessary for us to know what we want. If something is happening that doesn't feel right to us, whether it's personal or whether it's global, the contrast helps us discern what it is our innate inner being is longing to express. 
So if something is happening in my life and I'm saying, oh, this is not really going well, rather than getting stuck and this is really not going well, I say, well, what is this teaching me? This is teaching me about something that I wish to, wish to have or express in my life, some spiritual quality that I want to experience more of, and then we take it from there. So in that way, contrast or finitude or what might feel like a constraint is extremely necessary in our lives. It made me think of rose bushes. Has anybody here ever pruned a rose bush? Right? <laughs> Master pruner sitting down there. <laughs> yeah, so when, when Hugh prunes, prunes our rose bushes, uh, I look at them and I'm like, oh my God, he killed it. He just killed it. But the, the, the beauty of pruning, the beauty of the constraint of pruning is that a rose bush, after it's been pruned, when it comes into its proper season, it grows into greater fullness, not in spite of the pruning, but because of the pruning. And I think that's the same thing that happens to us as we bump up against our humanness or as we bump up against obstacles or as we bump up against our judgment of obstacles. It's like a form of pruning, something that feels like it constricts us, but if we work with it skillfully, we expand into greater fullness, not in spite of the pruning, not in spite of the constraint, but because of the constraint. Okay? We are intertwined, human and divine, to grow in love beyond love, to grow in love beyond our capacity to love. That's supposed to be a picture of the ugly ducking, duckling, but I, I, don't think it's a, I don't think it's a swan or a duck. I think it's an ostrich, don't you? It look like an ostrich, baby ostrich. I don't know. <laughs> but I wanted a bird that was not, I mean, I don't know why they called it an ugly duckling, because I tried to find a picture of an ugly duckling, and they're actually quite cute. All ducklings, or uh, swans, baby swans are really cute. I digress. Anyway, so <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're intertwined to grow in love beyond love. We, we are intertwined, the human and divine, to grow in our capacity to love beyond love. The, the, the opportunity to love it can't be too easy or it doesn't mean anything, right? What Cynthia Bourgeau says about this, Cynthia Bourgeau is a Christian mystic teacher, and she says, the mature and subtle flavors of love have no real context in a realm where there are no edges and boundaries. And by the mature and subtle flavors of love, I mean things like forgiveness. When somebody does you wrong and you have the capacity to forgive them, you find it in your heart to forgive them. It can also be the capacity to express compassion, knowing that compassion also is sometimes setting great boundaries. Setting a great boundary is saying to someone, rather than just going along with what they want you to do, setting a great boundary is, is like saying to somebody, I know you can do better than this. I know there's a spirit within you that is better than this. I know I can't let you hurt me anymore because you're better than this. Steadfastness is another quality of love that we wouldn't need to express unless we had edges to bump up against in. Loving, loving when it's hard to love. That's part of the beauty of love, part of the beauty of love that is, that is possible because we are both human and divine, that we are in this, the infinite confined in the finite, allegedly confined in the finite. And Cynthia Bourgeau continues to say that when you run up against hard edges and stand true to love anyway, when you run up against these hard edges, these difficulties to love, and stand true to love anyway, what emerges is a most precious taste of pure and divine love. God speaks its most infinite and divine name to you, through you, as you. So whatever is an ugly duckling in your life, whatever seems ugly and unappealing and like an obstacle and something that you're judging, that might actually be your swan in disguise. 
but it becomes a swan as we are able to stay present with it and do the most loving thing, which may be saying yes, which may be saying no, which may be staying, which may be leaving, which may be putting up a boundary, which may be saying I forgive you, which may be steadfastness, which may be an, any, a multitude of infinite ways to express love beyond our capacity to love. That's the calling for all of us today calling for us in a world that seems to be divided is to love beyond our capacity to love and to see the possibility of peace in all things and love in all things. <laughs> and it can be hard to remember. Don't you think that God looks kind of like Elvis? <laughs> He's alive. Elvis is alive. We saw him at the Ventura Center for Spiritual Living. He doesn't, he doesn't look happy, but he's alive. <laughs> but it can be hard to remember all of this stuff about how we're human and divine and how we're supposed to love beyond our capacity to love because we, we run into challenges in life. We run into things that look like obstacles. And we have these brains. I talked about that quite at, at length last month about that we are designed to perceive threats. There's something in our brain that helps keep us alive. The, the amygdala, it's a portion of the brain that... that perceives threats to both our physical body and also to our social connection. And when we perceive threats, we react accordingly. And the other thing about that too is that many of you who have been around this teaching for a long time know that we don't believe what we see, we see what we believe, right? Our thought colors our perception of the universe. So that can make it hard to remember, but we still have to remember. That's why we come together as a community to remember we are fully human, we are fully divine, and it is all God. God is divine and human is divine, and it's all God. It's all divine. The other thing, too, is that what I just explained with the brain was a very material view of the world, and there is this realm that is beyond matter. You know, physicists have known for a long time that solid, solid matter is condensed energy. And um, Cynthia Bourgeau talks about in her book that there is this imaginal realm, which is, doesn't mean imaginary, it means a, a real place or state of consciousness, but not a physical place. The quote from the Gospels where Jesus says, in my house there are many mansions, or another translation is, in my house there are many dwelling places. That means that there are many states of consciousness. There are many states of levels of consciousness and that the subtler realms of consciousness, the subtler realms being things like attention, prayer, intention, all of the things that we talk about in this church, the subtler realms of consciousness are actually more powerful than the matter that we find so compelling, than the obstacles that we find so compelling, that the challenges that we find so compelling, that the difficulties on earth that we find so compelling. The subtle realms, the subtler realms of prayer, intention, and attention are much more powerful. We just have to believe it and we have to align with it. And it's not easy when there's all this evidence, but remember, we, we see what we believe. We see what we believe. So if we can shift our belief to understand that attention and intention and prayer and alignment, right alignment with the realization of our humanity within our divinity and our divinity within our humanity, then life starts becoming much clearer and we start to go in the flow, flowing with the river instead of trying to swim upstream all the time, right? Am I correct about that, people? Have you ever experienced that? Do I need to get a microphone like Oprah and <laughs> ask people about that? <laughs> That's why Ernest Holmes said, Solid truth, spiritual truth, spiritual truth dissolves solid facts. Spiritual truth dissolves solid facts. And we have a great metaphor of that. The fact of the caterpillar goes into the chrysalis, turns into slime, 
and says, well, I guess I'm done for. Guess I'm over. And then look what happens. It turns into an amazing butterfly. And the caterpillar probably spends most of his life saying this, looking at a butterfly saying, you'll never get me up in one of those things. <laughs> but something stronger than the caterpillar's will, some spiritual intention, some spiritual truth, some spiritual attention, some spiritual calling within the caterpillar pulls him into that place where he or she goes into the chrysalis. I don't, do caterpillars have genders? They must. I don't know. I don't care. Anyway, they, he, he or she, they go into, that, into that, that chrysalis and dissolve and become something better. And that may be the calling for all of us. Not to become something better in terms of in terms of comparison, but something, some greater growth, like a pruned rose, growing into greater fullness, growing, growing into a greater expression of the fullness of our being that Spirit intended as it came through us. None of us was born to be poor or helpless or depressed or sad or in despair or angry or judgmental. All of us were born to be the light of God, the light of God shining on the world and raising others up through our own light raising others up through our, through our compassion and through our kindness and through our non-judgment and through our willingness to be present as the perfect light of God, perfect meaning inclusive of everything, being present as that perfection of God, showing up as us, through us, as our higher being and cooperating with this higher being that longs for great expression through each of us. So to make these concepts known, the calling is, is to live as if the truth of non-duality is true. The truth that we are fully human and fully divine, to live as if that is true. And to do that, we practice embodied love. One of which was so eloquently spoken by Shanti this morning in the song, we can be kind. We can be kind. It's so easy to be kind. I spoke about that last week, so I won't do it again. Well, ever. No. <laughs> no, I won't do it right now. But actually being kind is, is one of the easiest things we can do. It just takes a tiny shift in consciousness. But, so I have, but I have three other, other things that, that we can think about. One of them is to engage in paradox, to help us live as if the truth is true, the truth of our fullness in humanity and divinity. Do you get the little joke there, paradox, paradox? See that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> That's how I remember the word. <laughs> you know, a, para <laughs> a paradox is something that seems sort of irreconcilable, something that doesn't make sense to the ego. But I, I've encountered several in the last, oh, I don't know, 18 years or so that I've been running a church, and, and um, probably my whole life. And what I have found is that when I am humbled, I am exalted. When I feel humble, I feel exalted because I feel that there is such greatness beyond me that is filling me, I am exalted. Here's a weird one. When I am vulnerable, I am invincible. When I allow my own to my, myself to speak my own truth in a vul vulnerable manner, then a greater strength comes into me and I become invincible. Here's another one. When I am human, I am divine. We'll save that last one for, for just a minute. But I also want to point out to you that, that because there, there is sort of this human divine like con continuum or Mobius strip or whatever, and you can also read these backwards in a way as a question to see if you're, if you're in alignment. One of the things we can do is say, when I am exalted, am I humbled? Yes. If I'm feeling exalted but I'm humbled at the same time, then I'm in alignment. All right. We can also say, when I am invincible, am I vulnerable? 
we can say, yes, that means we're in alignment. If we're feeling, and by vulnerable, I don't mean open to attack. I mean a different kind of vulnerability. I mean respecting our own space and being willing to speak our truth. So when I am invincible, am I vulnerable? Yes. Then we're in alignment. When I'm feeling divine, am I also encompassing and loving my humanity? Yes. And when we do, we are in alignment with this paradox of human and divine. This one, when I'm unqualified, I'm qualified. That one seemed like a real conundrum to me, but I decided to throw it in there anyway because I had such a vivid experience of, of this in my life as a minister. Um, this happened years and years ago when I first started working at this center. And um, <coughs> when I first started, I was, uh, was lacking in certain skills, <laughs> many skills. One of them was um, people skills. And um, I, nobody's laughing. Nobody finds it funny. I think it's funny. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I want to be a minister. I don't really know how to act around people, but yeah, sure, <laughs> whatever. So, um, and I don't know how much of the story to tell, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so at the end of religious science services, we all used to sing, let there be peace on earth. Remember that? Yeah, yeah some, some people really fondly remember that. And, and I didn't like the song because it's too hard to sing, you know, it's got a high note at the end, and the people who really want to sing the high note probably shouldn't be singing that high note. <laughs> but anyway, I just didn't like the way it sounded, and I very cavalierly took it out of the service, and I got complaints about it. And somebody came to my office one day and really launched into me, and I did not handle her skillfully at all. I was, I, I could have just listened and let her vent and acknowledged her pain, and and apologized for being cavalier about doing this, this thing that people were really, th they really cherished this tradition and they really, they really um, valued the song. And I just was just sort of brazen about it and took it, took it out without really consulting with anybody. And I could have acknowledged your pain, but I didn't. I argued with her. I argued with her and it was not a pleasant conversation and, um, and it, was, it, it ended not on a good note. And it also you know, turned into a list of m more criticism back and forth. So <laughs> when she left, I have all of these spiritual icons around my, my office. I've got Ganesh, similar to, to this scenario here. I've got Ganesh and the, the Virgin Mary of Guadalupe and uh, Krishna and all of these gentle spiritual fi figures. And I just felt like they were all looking at me saying, who, who do you think you are? Why, <laughs> why are you someone like you a minister? And then somebody, one of the statues, some inner voice said, you feel like you're unqualified, but guess what? The fact that you're unqualified makes you qualified. And what that meant to me is that so many people put ministers up on a pedestal, and yet I am as unqualified and I struggle as much as anybody else, and that gives me greater insight and greater compassion for the struggles and challenges of others. And I've used that many, many times when I've coached either speakers or writers or what have you, saying, you know, do you want it? Do you want to learn from somebody who just got out of the bed and floated away in a cloud and knew everything about spirituality? Or would you rather learn from somebody who has actually struggled and wrestled with all of this? And so I actually cherish that idea. And, and because of the idea that being unqualified makes us qualified. It's such a strange paradox to hold, but often when I'm in the process of making a mistake, which I do frequently, and I'm starting to feel inadequate or insignificant or unqualified, I say, oh, 
Maybe it's that thing again. That thing, that big fight that we had about the peace song. <laughs> Maybe it's that thing again where I'm really, this is here for me to learn so that I can have greater qualifications of being a human, divine, perfectly flawed being showing up here on the planet Earth. And I offer that to all of us so that we all love our flaws as much as we love our strengths. You gonna do that? You gonna do that right now? You gonna start right now? Good. Somebody, shout out one of your flaws. No, I'm kidding. You don't have to. <laughs> okay. All right. Another thing that we can do is to practice reverence. Now, I was doing this the other day when I was just doing stuff around the kitchen. I was, you know, feeding the cat and getting ready to eat some contraband peanut butter. <coughs> and I just remember just taking, <laughs> taking a knife out and just looking at the knife and saying, I'm about to use this beautiful device that was cra crafted by somebody. So being mindful about the tasks that we're doing and appreciating, appreciating this, this beautiful device that we use that we take for granted. I mean, how many of us just take a knife and slap something on a piece of bread and call it a day, right? And then inhale it, okay. But, <laughs> but then, you know, and then just saying thank you. Thank you, knife. Thank you, shoes. Thank you, pants. I'm so glad I'm wearing pants today. <laughs> thank you, microphone. Thank you, everything. Just living, walking through life with that level of reverence has a huge impact on our consciousness and our capacity to hold the paradox that we are both human and divine. And then the other thing is prayer. May peace prevail on earth. That's a peace prayer that was developed after the, the dropping of the, the bomb on um, uh, Hiroshima by uh, the royal lineage in Japan. And many places have peace poles where this prayer is written in many languages on them. We have a peace pole outside. So whatever your prayer is, prayer can again open us up to that consciousness. Prayer is, prayer is a shift in consciousness at its best. It's not trying to manipulate the material world. It is an alignment. It's a shift in consciousness so that we remember that we are one with God. And that oneness with God embraces our humanity as well as our divinity. That at some point, the two become the same. And we, don't, we can't really tell the difference between hum human and divine. And so in the spirit of prayer, we have a prayer list that is circulated. The practitioners and the ministers have a prayer list that is circulated every week. And Ka Reverend Karen Mondragon writes, writes it, and she does a beautiful job. And Reverend Judy, who did such a beautiful prayer, filled in for Karen for a while. We are very, very blessed to have the practitioners that we have. But Karen wrote a prayer for the Ukraine that I'd like to just read to you this morning. If you would just turn within for a moment so that we can pray for our brothers and sisters across the globe. And Reverend Karen Mondragon wrote, we pray for the people of the Ukraine who are facing much peril at this time. We hold this region and its people in a place of peace, safety, and miracles. We send peace to its invaders from Russia. Its leaders are led to decisions other than occupation and violence. Vladimir Putin is drawn to find a solution without violence. He has the wisdom of forethought and weighs his options to find a peaceful result. We know that this is within the hands of spirit, and we pray with open hearts filled with peace. And together we say, and so it is. And may it be so, may it be so, that there is a miracle going on over there, and we may not know what it is. We may not be able to even describe what it is or imagine what it is, but that there is a miracle that God knows that is coming forth, that is coming forth as our prayers and I'm willing to bet that there are millions of people all over the world that are uttering simple prayers and si similar prayers, similar prayers to bring this to a peaceful resolution 
where lives are held and cherished and that the world is a better place because of it, because of our prayer. So simply to recap, before I do, I just want to point out, that's a, you know what that is? It's a, it's a DNA mo molecule, right? Isn't that cool? That that is like one of the basic structures within us and it's, it has such a, like a Mobius strip quality to it, such a, such a, you know, duality that's intertwined, this, this strip and this strip, a double helix. It just feels like, again, another metaphor for how the, how the, the divine becomes human and the human becomes divine. Spirit becomes matter, so matter becomes spirit. So to recap, we are all simultaneously human and divine. Every single person sitting in this room, every single person that we know, every single animal that we know is all human and divine. Every rock, every tree, every flower, all human and divine. It is all the body of God. It is all that, <laughs> that monk dreaming of a butterfly and the butterfly dreaming of a monk. It is all of that and that which is beyond words. And to experience this, we live like the truth of this is true through practicing paradox and reverence and certainly prayer. And the other thing I really want you to remember, really want you to remember, is that business about the butterfly, the caterpillar going into the chrysalis, dissolving and going and becoming a butterfly. Spiritual truth is more powerful than solid facts. In fact, spiritual truth dissolves solid facts. Let's know that now and let us pray.